I want to thank, uh, thank all of you who were able to come and um, help with the setup. We didn't send out a reminder this week, but I will uh, now just kind of mention to everyone that we are, um, at least part of our setup is taking place on Sunday mornings uh, for an, another eight weeks at least. And um, so if you can come a little bit early and help, uh, just text me, let me know what time you can come. Go back to the email that we sent out or I'll try to copy it again to kind of let you know our schedule and how that comes about. And then, of course, I know everybody chips in at the end and uh, uh, helps tear down. And we are, we are appreciative of that and thank you for it. I was reminded uh, just a moment ago as we just, uh, as we just sang uh, what we sang in that last song, the connection back to our call to worship in that uh, when we are weak, uh, God strengthens us and encourages us. We come and we bow before His throne because we are weak. Uh, and remember the psalmist said, consider the poor, consider the weak. Uh, we consider the weak and we consider each other in our weaknesses uh, because God has considered us and our weaknesses. So when we are talking about loving as God loved and being imitators of God, those are the things that we are pointing to is that in our weakness we come to Him and He deals with us in our weakness. And when we are weak, we come to each other and we deal with each other uh, in, in our weaknesses. Um, I know that we have not seen this borne out entirely, but there is, there is an attraction to that that once people see it and know it and know that it is real, people are drawn to that. Um, and in that opens up doors to talk about the gospel in ways that are far greater than other ways that we have talked about it before because then we, when we are talking about the love of God and we are sharing the fullness of the gospel and what that means, uh, it is being seen and borne out uh, in our own lives. If you have your Bibles, if you will, turn to uh, Job. Piece of wisdom literature. Uh, you find Job before Psalms. Um, for our intercession today, I want us to pause. Um, you received our text, uh, biblical text for today. And uh, I want us to give consideration to that as we pray even now. Uh, as we pray in our weakness for our faith to be made strong. And I won't go back over a little piece of that, but let's think about that. Hebrews eleven six, uh, that the only way that we please God is to trust in Him. That pleases Him, uh, and those who seek Him trust in Him and are drawn near to Him. And just be reminded that during these days of consecration, that is what we're longing first and foremost is to pause uh, here at the beginning of the year and in the middle of our lives and in this season. Uh, and draw near to Him. Um, I have experienced uh, some great challenges uh, in this past week, um, and they're great for me because it's causing me to wrestle and struggle with some things in my own heart and my own mind uh, as it relates to some of the things that I have going on in my life. And I, I am attributing the struggle because I know that I'm under spiritual attack and I'm under spiritual attack in even a greater way during this season because of setting aside time uh, to fast and to pray specifically for the things that I know and believe in my heart and I believe are consistent with God's Word will make a difference in the life of this community. And I'm not talking about just the fact that we need a place to meet. I'm talking about praying for you and you praying for me and me praying for me and you praying for you regarding our drawing near to God and what that means. What it means in us as we worship and what that means ultimately as we minister in this community. This is a real thing. It's real. This isn't, this isn't just something to do. This is life-altering and life-changing, and it bears out to have eternal impact on us 
and on those we come in contact with. So I want to encourage you as we pray, and then pray today for wisdom. We need, uh, we need wisdom. You'll notice that our, our other text came from 1 Kings and looked at Solomon's prayer uh, for wisdom, which I find just incredible. Just tell me what you want. You know, that was basically, you know, just your you one wish, your one wish. If you were offered one wish today, what would that be? And Solomon paused and said, I need wisdom to lead God's people. Well, we need wisdom um, as we continue to move forward together as a church family. So let's pray and ask God for that. Father, we need faith and we need wisdom. And we know that both are gifts from you. We are weak in our faith and we need to be strengthened. Father, we believe, help our unbelief is our prayer today. And grant us wisdom that we will fear you and in fearing you, reflect the wisdom that you give us as we give consideration to all things of life. And then help us, Father's church family, as we seek to be established and grounded and ministering in this community and in the places that we live and work. And then, Father, as we have even been reminded of today, cause us, Father, work within us, help us in our weaknesses in the way that we love and care for each other. That it may put a spotlight on who you are and the way you love by the way that we love and draw people to yourself through us as your instruments of reconciliation in Christ's name. Amen. We are beginning a five-week series on Job today. And I want to tell you, you look at Job and you say, how in the world are you going to do that in five weeks? Well, we're not going to cover all of Job in five weeks. Okay? I'd love to, but we're not. But I did feel like for this season... Um, this time of the year, this season, and because of some of the things that are just going on in our lives that we needed to hear from this text and we needed to hear the gospel from this text. Uh, and then just to go ahead and let you know in advance when we, after this five weeks, we're going to move and we're going to work through the gospel of Matthew. Um, this will be pertinent to us as we make that transition uh, to the gospels. But uh, I want us to hear... Uh, from God's Word through Job. Now, some of you uh, would think, uh, you know, how in the world are we going to work through Job? Well, I want to encourage you. Some of you have already been reading it, but I want you to encourage you, encourage you, if you will, over the course of the next five weeks to read it. And I want to give you a little bit of heads up on maybe how that may be helpful to you as you think through Job. Some of you have read Job, and you may have just found it just kind of hard to work through uh, you may want to jot this down, or you can just take the headings that are probably listed in your copies of Scripture and figure this out. But once you get this categorized, it really is easier to read. Uh, and if you say it's never made a whole lot of sense to me beyond the first couple of chapters, well, it'll make sense to you. In chapters 1 and 2, we just have the prologue. It talks about Job. We're going to look at those today. Um, Chapter 3 kind of continues with the introduction to kind of continue to set up how things are moving along. Uh, and then chapters 4 through 27 are three cycles of, of, of arguments. Job's friend comes in, his friends, three of them, come in and sit with him in the midst of his grief. And they are trying to tell Job why he's suffering. And... A chapter is given to one of them, and then Job will normally come back in two chapters of response, of saying, no, that's not what it is. And he knows that what he's hearing is not right, but he doesn't know the answers entirely either. But you, it's just that kind of three cycles of that. So uh, Eliphaz speaks, and then Job responds. Bildad speaks, and Job responds. Zophar speaks, Job responds. And they go through three cycles of that. The only thing is, is that the last cycle, that third cycle, uh, uh, Zophar kind of steps out of the conversation. He just stops. He probably feels like, I've said all I can say, and I keep getting the same thing from Job, so I'm just not going to say anything else. 
And then over the course of the next few chapters, you hear Job's kind of final plea and final argument in the course of that. And then a new man comes on the scene, Elihu, and he comes in and for about three chapters, he speaks. And then after that, God kind of brings everything together. He gets everything straightened out, just like he always does, doesn't he? Uh, he comes in, he's there at the beginning, he's there at the end. And if you'll notice in the first chapter and in the fourth chapter, there's a scene with God and in the first chapter and, and again in the second chapter. But then in the fourth chapter, there's a scene with God. But God speaks before the very end and he brings closure to everything and he helps everybody understand what is going on. And then in the course of that, Job repents uh, and has some incredible confessions uh, about God and His greatness. Read it in that manner uh, and maybe it'll help you as you begin to uh, work through Job. Uh, so much of it we will not be able to talk about. You might ask with these, as you think about this, is what in the world did these men have to say to somebody who was suffering? Well, they did their best to try to help sort through all of that. But you know what? I found, and this is one of the reasons why we're looking at Job, we are being called on regularly, regularly with friends and family to make sense of suffering and tragedy. Uh, yesterday when I got home, Janice had gone to our, uh, Lola's ball game. And when I got home, she told me about seeing all the police cars and everything kind of going down toward landfall. She checked the news and afterwards found out uh, that seemingly a man uh, has shot and killed his wife and two of his children and then shot himself. Can you imagine? Three, four miles down the road in, in what most folks would consider one of the prime areas. We, we, weren't, we, we were not in Creekwood where that happened. Okay, we weren't in Gervais where that happened. Right there in the parking lot of Food Line and in that area right there at Landfall that takes place. So tragic. Now you think about it today. You're likely a mom and a dad who were parents and grandparents today are grieving and trying to sort through that tragedy and the why. There's another mom and dad and grandparents who's trying to sort through the tragedy of that. The son's mom and dad. What would bring my son to do such a thing? Trying to sort through the reality of that kind of a tragedy. I'm, I'm not trying to over-dramatize this. People ask questions and are trying to sort through those things. Why? Because they are happening every day around us. Every day. I was thinking through Job and just a few kind of introductory remarks that I think that will be helpful to us is uh, there's kind of a common question that comes up and I've, I've, I've talked with some folks about this. Is Job a historical narrative? Or, or is this a fictitious story and just kind of parabolic? Um, there are those who stand on both sides of the fence and, and say it, it, it is a historical narrative. In other words, it's real. It was a story about a real man's life. Um, I, I believe that. I believe that it was a story of a real man's life. Part of the reason I think it is because it's written so much like some of the other passages of Scripture that just begin that way. When we get into Judges and we get into other places, we hear uh, the historical narrative start out just that way. Take, for instance, uh, Judges 17.1. Uh, there was a man of the hill country of, of Ephraim whose name was Micah. And then in Samuel we hear uh, there was a certain man of uh, Ramoth, Mathen, Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Elkna. And we hear right here at the beginning of Job, there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. Sounds like, sounds like it's real. But I also, when I began looking Job, and you can do this with a concordance or whatever, just pull up, is, was, is Job ever mentioned anywhere else in Scripture? 
Uh, and the fact is that he is. In fact, in Ezekiel chapter 14, this is what we hear. And I want you to listen how he falls in litany and in line here. And the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, when a land sins against me by acting faithlessly, and I stretch out my hand against it and break its supply of bread and send famine upon it and cut off from it man and beast, even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and wouldn't you know, Job, these three men were in it, they would deliver but their own lives by their righteousness. Or if I send a pestilence into the land and pour out my wrath upon it with blood to cut off from it man and beast, even if Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, declares the Lord God, they would deliver neither son nor daughter. They would deliver but their own lives by their righteousness. James mentions him as well in James chapter 5, verses 10 and 11, as an example of suffering and patience. Brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. So I believe it's a historical narrative. And we need to be careful to not view it differently than that. Because I believe if we do, then we run the risk, as happens when we don't look at it as a historical narrative, we run the risk in choosing and selecting what part of it we think is really important. Now you know a parable, and Jesus taught in parables, but in a parable, it's not a point-by-point -point translation. In other words, everything in the story uh, that's given in a parable doesn't mean something. Uh, it has a message to teach, and there are circumstances and stuff in the story that are built to communicate that message. But when we look at something such as a historical narrative, everything is a fact. Now, and every fact bears upon what is ultimately being communicated. So we're just dealing with facts. So when we read Job, we are reading facts of history. This man came and he taught. And this is what he said. And that was what he said. And it was recorded. And that's the way we should look at it. Finally, kind of in the way of introduction, just to say that uh, if you have done any studying of Job or you've looked around, uh, we don't know who the author is. And we don't know the time period. Um, what we do here, and, and, and listen to this, what we do here is about suffering. Let me ask this question. Is it wrong to think of Job in the context of suffering? Is it wrong to think of him in the context of suffering? Because, you know, we often talk about Job. We refer to him. How many, how many times have you ever referred to Job's suffering? A lot of times it comes across as, as you know, this is bad, but it isn't as bad as what Job went through. Don't we? Have you ever heard that? It's not as bad as what Job went through. I'm dealing with difficulty and struggle, but nothing to the degree uh, that Job, or, or it looks like this person is suffering like Job. Is it wrong to think of it as suffering? I don't think so. Seems to be clear that human suffering and the human response to suffering is at the heart of this text. Uh, we should be pressed to consider why so much attention is given to suffering and a man's response to it. Why would we wade through all these chapters? And I'm going to go ahead and kind of cue you in. Job has all of these men that are telling him stuff. And some of the stuff that they're saying are right, but they're applying it wrong. And then some of the stuff they're just saying is just wrong. Why would God have us wade through all those chapters of bad theology and some good theology with wrong application if there wasn't something in it for us to learn as it relates to how we view suffering? Because it's all steeped in that context. The suffering of man. I want us to give some attention to that and that's part of the reason why I want us to look at this the other reason is is that we suffer 
we suffer. Some of you have suffered. You know what? You're going to suffer more. As some of our children here may not have experienced, and some of our youth may not have experienced that kind of suffering yet. But I want you to know that it's coming. It's coming. Some degree of suffering is coming. And you need to be equipped and prepared for it. I need to be equipped and prepared for it. We as a church need to be equipped and prepared for it. Because when it comes, it really does have the potential to rock our boat. And for some believers, at least for a season, it capsizes them. And it will remain capsized unless they fall back and understand this thing of suffering and are righted by the truth of God's Word. So let's look at Job. Let's look at Job the man. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Historical narrative. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. Make a note of that. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. I want you to hear that. Here's what we know about Job. He's a man in us in a real place. We don't know where that is, but it was a real place. He is a devoted worshiper of God. He's blameless and upright, and he feared God. Make a note of that. He wasn't perfect. He wasn't perfect. He was not sinless, but he sought to honor God in his living. Part of the reason that we looked at our confession today was that we are to be imitators of God. Job sought to be an imitator of God. He followed God that closely. He was also the priest for his family. We know that because he offered sacrifices for them. He, in other words, he interceded on their behalf. He cared for his family. He cared so much for his family that when his ten children and their families gathered, it wasn't that he hadn't, I don't believe it, wasn't that he hadn't raised them. He just knew that people sinned. Job was concerned about his spiritual well-being. He was concerned about their spiritual well-being. And he went on their behalf and offered sacrifices. He was a priest for them and offered sacrifices every time they met. And it seems to be in the course of that, that he had seven sons and they met on a regular basis, it may have meant that they met at each other's someone's house seven days a week and had a feast. It may not have been that often, but it was pretty regular. And it was enough so much so that he would offer a sacrifice for each of his children on behalf of them, asking, working through the course of that, so that their sin would be covered by the means by which he knew they had to be covered. Isn't that incredible? That was the kind of father that he was. That's the kind of attention that he gave to his uprightness. That was the kind of attention he gave uh, to righteousness. Let's hear what else he had. He had a large family. Seven sons and three daughters. He was substantially well off. Scripture is very clear about listing, listen at it again, 7,000 sheep, 
3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys. Very specific about the things that Job had, the material wealth that he had, things that God had given him. It was a display of God's mercy toward him and how God had blessed him. So he was well off. In fact, when you look at his life, his life couldn't be much better, could it? Is your life like that? I, I, Job wanted for nothing. I'm seeing some of you shake your head. No, it's not quite that. Not quite like that. No, no. Uh, I was reminded yesterday, by the way, and I just interject this. I was reminded yesterday. I helped preach Mr. Bill Shord's funeral. Many of you remember Mr. Bill Shord's. Sat on the front row uh, at the 11 o'clock service. I believe it was 11 o'clock or 9.30, right on the front row, right in the middle. And he would raise his hands and he would sing, uh, just sweet, dear man. Some of you may remember him from the Seaman Center from years ago, uh, from uh, the um, um, Lampstand Ministries from years ago. Anyway, he passed away. But Mr. Bill had a hard life. His life was hard. Had it not been for his church family in Scotts Hill and on other people that God had put in his life, I don't know that he and Miss Claire would have ever made it financially. They relied on the help of others. He worked hard. Relationships were hard. Family was hard. Everything he went about was incredibly hard. Um, he was not a Job, but he certainly did not he wasn't a Job at the end, and he wasn't a Job at the beginning, but he certainly didn't fit the category. He loved God, but he didn't have all of this. Just Job's life was just one, uh, just looks perfect. Life couldn't be better. Job had everything that I believe that a godly man would ever, would, would ever long for if, if we even look beyond. It's kind of like Solomon prays for wisdom, and God gives him everything else. It's like Job sought God. And God singled Job out and just blessed him. Ten children. And all this financial wealth. Job loved God. And it is clear that his relationship with God was the most important thing in his life. And we'll see that in a moment. But even here, it's being set up that there is everything about Job's life is good. It's right. It was all that anyone uh, could ever hope for. And we don't hear it here, but we will discover later that something else that Job had that all of us want. You want to guess what it is? He had good health. He had good health. Don't, isn't that what we want? We, we want good health? Brian, Bill would love to have good health, wouldn't he? Has had it in times of the past. I'm singling him out because I'm talking about his brother uh, who's struggling with cancer and others that, we, others that we know. He had good health. So he had all of these things. Now if you would just skip down to verse 13 and let's see what, what happens. Keeping that in mind that Job has all of that and life is perfect. Okay? Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. What went away? The oxen and the donkeys. 500 oxen and 500 donkeys taken. Big cut into that financial security that he had. Read on. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone escaped to tell you. 7,000 sheep, gone. Stock market really crashed there, didn't it? 7,000 sheep, gone. Read on. 
while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups, made a raid on the camels, and took them and struck down the servants and the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. All of his financial wealth gone. Gone. Listen, while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young people. And they're dead. They're dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. In the time that it took us to read what we just read, he heard all of that news. Instantly, almost. Can you imagine? Back here a few years ago, uh, some friends of ours and church members there at uh, Scotts Hill at the time, uh, received news that their son had died. In fact, uh, they were in Walmart. They were in Walmart. Somehow another tracked her phone or something or called them to find out where they were. And they came and the law officers came and said, your son has died. It actually overdosed on heroin. Complete shock to them. I remember being there with them in that next few minutes after that. Uh, it was just incredible to see the grief that came over them. It was almost like they were numb. Now think about Job for just a moment. That's how his life changed in that short period of time. And Job wondered why. We will find out that that's what the rest of the book is about. Is struggling with the why and the, and, and the why not. What happened? What happened? Well, let's go to verse 6. And we'll see what happened. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. Now notice who initiates this conversation. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? And then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job... Fear God for no reason. God, does He really fear you? You've blessed the work of His hands and His possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that He has and He will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hands, only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. What happened? Job doesn't know what happened. But heaven plays a role on earth. What's the point? Well, it appears that God has something to prove to Satan. But what is it that he's trying to show Satan? 
God is wanting to show Satan that the sinner can be sanctified. I want you to hear that. That the sinner can be sanctified. In Satan's mind, Job is only honoring God and seeking Him because God is blessing him. God, you stop giving to Him and that seemingly sanctified sinner is going to go back to being just a plain old sinner and He's going to hate you like He hated you before. And God says, no, He's not. What was He telling him? God was trying to help Satan, but not just help him, He was going to show him for sure that a man can love and honor God. The man that God changes, the heart that God changes, will and can honor God. Now Satan would have been right about everyone else that God had not touched. There might have been someone giving lip service to honoring God. There may have been another blessed man in the region, not as blessed as Job because he was the greatest one and he was the one that was most known. But there may have been someone giving lip service to God. But that is not who God pointed Job, Satan to. God pointed Satan to Job because he wanted Satan to understand that when God touches a man's heart, his heart is changed and that he will love God. You know why we have as our very first part of our statement to love God supremely? It's because that is the beginning of all things for us. As a believer, when we love God supremely, we stay the course. We stay the course in ministry. We stay the course in life. We stay the course in hardship. We stay the course in suffering because we love God. The love of God is what sustains us. The hope of God is what sustains us. Take your Bibles and turn over to Psalm, just a few pages, and look at Psalm 42. We use Psalm 41 today as our call to worship. But look at Psalm 42. Listen to the psalmist. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God. In other words, here's a man that loves God, longs for God, looks forward to being in the presence of God, looking toward God as we sang earlier today, looking toward the end, looking toward the throne, having our sights set on coming in His presence. That's what our heart should be about now, even as we were praying this morning, is that we would draw near to God, understanding that we're coming to the throne of God, that we long for Him. But notice what else. He said, then the psalmist turns and said, my tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? In other words, this God that you have been believing in and trusting, where is He? We don't see any sign of Him being anywhere around. You're suffering. You're struggling. You're down. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with a throne and lead them in the possession of the high, procession of the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? And then hear this. Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation, my God. A man in the midst of suffering and struggling, being reminded, telling his own soul what is true. And the truth is, is that his love for God is what ultimately sustains him. His hope in God sustains him. God is bound to show Satan that he cannot win. 
He cannot win. Now, how does that help us today? Well, if God has reached into your heart and taken that heart of stone and turned it into a heart of flesh and your heart beats for God, you may struggle. Your soul may ache. Circumstances may come about that are so different than what you are experiencing today. But God was bound to show Satan that none of that had a bearing upon a man's love for God once he touched him. He was pointing to the work that Christ would do. He was pointing to everything that this man was doing and longing for God. His righteousness, his uprightness, his honoring God was true and real because God was real and had touched him. Heaven and earth are coming together in the course of that. Notice what happens again over in chapter 2. And there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? In other words, you wanted him. You took his stuff. I I, I took his stuff. Where is he? Where is he now? Well, if you back up just a few verses there, you'll see where he is in verse 20. And after Job received all of that bad news in, in a period of about two minutes, then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and he did what? He worshiped. He didn't deny. He didn't reject. He didn't blame. He didn't curse. He worshiped and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Went from having seemingly everything to having nothing. Most of us, some of us, let me say, you're in this upward mobility. You're looking for things to be better. You're on that track. Better financially, better with family. All of these things. It's upward mobility. You feel good. We come here and we worship with all of that in our sights. All of that upward mobility. Things just getting better and getting good. It, it may not be that we're longing to be rich. We, we're just we're seeing we want, things are better. I wonder if our worship would be the same if we walked in here today without a thing but just ourselves naked because everything that we find value in had been stripped. Job did. And he said... Blessed be the name of the Lord. And God points to Satan and said, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. God is saying the same thing about him. Okay? He says, He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. In other words, I, I, I reached out and, and there was this, this wasn't an act of justice on him, is what's being said. In other words, I was not punishing him. I was doing to him to show you that that man's heart is set. Is set. And then look at verse 4. And then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin. 
All that man has, he will give for his life. Stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he'll curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he's in your hand. Just don't kill him. Touch him. Do what you will to him. God knew this man. He knew that he had changed his heart. And he knew that this man loved him because God had given him that kind of love and that kind of devotion. I want that kind of love and devotion in me. Do you? I want that in me. Job continues to trust God. And notice what happens. Verse 7, chapter 2. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And he struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And here's what Job did. Job took a piece of broken pottery and he scraped himself while he sat in ashes. You'll go on and read. We read and we'll look at it later on. They festered up, became infected. The maggots were embedded in him in those sores. And he lived like that. And he could not see the end to it. That's where it went to. Verse 9. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. In other words, have an end to this. Just curse God. You blessed Him when He took our children. You blessed Him when He took our finances. You worshipped Him and it's clear she's not. The only person that He has left in His life is His wife and she is not encouraging Him. She is saying, curse God and get out of your misery. And what does He say? Look at what He says. Says you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God? And shall we not receive evil? In other words, are we willing to take good from God and not also receive the heaviness of His hand? Job's wisdom is being tested. Remember, he feared God. His wisdom was being tested. What do we learn from all this? That's Job. That's the, that's the background for all that we will talk about for the next four weeks. Well, here are a few things. Suffering should be expected in this life. We've already said that. Okay? Peter wrote, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Uh, suffering is a part of our lives. I mentioned Mr. Bill Shores. Suffering was a part of his life. He suffered physically. He suffered financially. He suffered and struggled relationally. His whole life was just hard. His whole life was hard. Was heaven involved in that? Yeah. Heaven was directing every bit of that. God was directing every bit of that. Did that have anything to do with the conversation between God and Satan? I don't know. We're not saying that everything that happens starts with a conversation between uh, the, the, the supreme authority and then that one who is seeking to attack and destroy. But what we are saying here is that God is at the center and behind all of that. 
suffering should be expected. Number two, no one is exempt from any kind of suffering. You know why God's Word was so directed toward all the good things about Job? His righteousness, his uprightness, his fear of God, his being the priest of his family, being so specific about everything that he had, his number of his children and all of that, was pointing to the fact that there was nothing in Job's life spiritually that could have and should have led to any of these kinds of things happening if, in fact, we are operating on the rule of retribution. If we are operating on this thought that somehow that God blesses the righteous and He curses the unrighteous. That God gives good things to the righteous and He gives bad things to the unrighteous. If that is our mindset, this story completely This narrative completely destroys all of that because here was a man that even God gave testimony to. Not the community, not Job talking about himself. God in heaven says, have you considered this man? This man. Here is what he is because of me. And here's what he has. But here's what he ultimately is because of me. And what happens? Can you think of anything worse? I don't know how many of your parents do this. And this, you may, some of you young people and children, y'all may think this is kind of morbid. But I have rehearsed in my mind a lot of things. And I have rehearsed receiving news that one of my children had been, life had been taken. I've rehearsed that in my mind. How would I respond? How would I feel? Now, y'all may have never thought that way, but I have. I have rehearsed what it would be like to hear uh, that one of my grandchildren had leukemia. I've rehearsed in my mind, how, how would I deal with, how, how would I deal with Wallace and thinking about him and his life uh, if, if, if we got a call that he had cancer. Or that one of them uh, had fallen dead. Or that they had been in an automobile accident and their life was taken. Have you ever rehearsed that in your mind? I have. I have. Why? Well, those are real things and they happen. What we understand here is, is that not only is Scripture clear in helping us see just how grand a life, seemingly, in our minds, that Job's was, beginning with his closeness with God being paramount, to also hearing within less than two minutes of reading just exactly what he heard in that same amount of time, you're broke have nothing. And all ten of your children and their families are all dead. And then sometime after that we see where he is in his sickness and his disease. No one is exempt from any kind of suffering. That's the point with Job. The righteous can lose loved ones, be poverty stricken, and suffer with disease just like everyone else. So if you have in your mind that somehow or another, that if we follow God, everything will be okay, and that we will be exempt from suffering, that is not true. That is the reason that we have to be careful in giving a testimony and talking about the gospel and framing it where someone will really want to come to God because life's going to be really good and that there will be no more suffering. It's not so. It's not true. It's not true. We hear in Scripture, Timothy was sick and Paul wrote him and Paul couldn't help him. Paul had no means to help him. He said, Timothy said, 
drink less water and take a little wine for the stomach. Somehow or another, get through this hard pain and suffering that you're going through. Wasn't to drown it, but apparently it would have something to do to help his gut. Epaphroditus, we hear about him. Listen to what was said about him. He said, Paul writes, he said, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister. Hear all that. Fellow servant, fellow soldier, my close confidant, my friend, my, 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 my messenger, minister to my need. For he's been longing for you and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill. Near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. That's how close it came. And what do we hear of Christ? Well, Hebrews chapter 5 tells us this about his own suffering. It said, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Third thing is his suffering is not necessarily God's chastisement on the sinner. It's not, it's, it's, it's not being lashed out. Suffering doesn't mean that I've done something wrong. No, no, we're not perfect. We're not sinless. There's no such thing as sinless perfection. That's the whole thing. Was pointing to the fact that Job was a righteous, upright, God-fearing man. And he suffered great loss. And then finally, I, I, I believe this is true. And I believe this is true in every case. When we are suffering, there is a bigger battle taking place. I want you to hear that again. When we are suffering, there is a bigger battle taking place. Now, this is helpful because you will see as we continue in Job, we read about the meeting in heaven. Job never knows anything about that. Would that have made a difference to him if he had known that God had been singling him out and saying, go ahead and strike him, but he's not going to deny me. Do whatever you want to, but he is going to remain faithful. Would that have made a difference? Well, no, he remained faithful through it all, but he didn't know that that's what was going on in heaven. There was a bigger battle being fought, and the battle that was being fought was the battle of God telling Satan and proving to him and showing him that sinners can and will be sanctified and will honor God. God and in Satan's mind he has set out to destroy and to tear that down at every turn he's seeking to rob you of your joy he's seeking to rob you of your happiness he is seeking to rob you of your faith he is seeking believer to tear you down so that you will deny God and God has put his hand on you and he has changed your heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh and it beats hard and heavy and hot for him and you trust when we're suffering, there's a bigger battle taking place. I'm going to close with reading a passage from Lamentation. Chapter 3. I'm going to commit this to memory too. And maybe that'll, maybe that'll encourage you to give consideration of this as well. But though He calls grief, He will have compassion according to the abundance of His steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men to crush underfoot all the prisoners of the earth, to deny a man justice in the presence of the Most High, to subvert a man in his lawsuit. The Lord does not approve. Who has spoken? And it came to pass, unless the Lord has commanded it, is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come. 
One of the things that you will find, and I know was true when I was in divinity school, what I was taught was inconsistent with what I believed. My belief didn't change. Those who were teaching it didn't change either. And that is that God, there is no way that God can be behind or responsible for suffering. And I believed that they were foolish to say that. And why? Primarily because of the testimony of Job. God directed every bit of it because there was a bigger battle being fought. Maybe as we suffer today and even the days ahead, that that will bring some steel to our presence and hold us upright to where we do not crumble because we consider at that point, you know what? There may be a bigger battle being fought here. My faith stands fast and sure.